head out to Children's Church this morning. I'm glad to be with you, and um, as we kind of get started this morning, I would like to, before we kind of get into the message, I would really like to ask for, and I would cover your prayers, kind of starting this next week and next weekend and the week after that. Um, I won't be here next Sunday um, for the spring break week that's coming up. I'm doing what I've done now for I don't know how many years in a row. I'm heading to go to preach a revival for a church. I'll be down way down South Texas this year uh, preaching a, a week-long revival. Uh, so I'll be out. So I leave, drive out Saturday and be gone till the following Thursday and just bringing the word down there. And so I really appreciate coming to prayers just for safety as I go. They're going to be in good hands. Our wonderful uh, John Tanner, who's actually off this Sunday celebrating his and Don's 25th wedding anniversary. Make sure you congratulate him for that next week. He'll be here preaching and bringing the word next Sunday while I'm out uh, leading revival. I'll miss you guys, but I'll be looking forward to getting back to you. But please do be praying. We're going to jump right in this morning. We're going to get right into what God has for us. We've continued on to this series, A Healthy Family, Growing Family. And can you guess what book of the Bible we're in again this morning? Let's see if you figure it out by now. Something about Corinthians? Yeah, 1 Corinthians. Yes, we're continuing the book of 1 Corinthians. We're on part 8. We're going to be calling the three... Boy, I need to pay more attention to my typing. There are the three judges, not the three judged. That doesn't make any sense on the screen. But how about the three judges? My fingers go a little faster than my brain sometimes. The three judges. We're going to see kind of a short passage in 1 Corinthians this morning, so we continue to look at how God was using the Apostle Paul to speak to this church that was not in a healthy place, and God was trying to grow them and get back to where they were going. Get your Bible open. We get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's going to be on the screen as well. We're going to go ahead and write into it. We want to see Scripture, what he has for us this morning. Let's begin to read uh, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, going through verse 5. It says this in the beginning of chapter 4. This, then, is how you ought to regard us. As servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. All right, to get into this passage this morning, to kind of help understand what God has for us in the message today, I'm going to start. I need a little bit of help this morning. I'm going to ask for, uh, for a volunteer. I need probably, how about one of our youth? Who wants to be a helper? All right, uh, hands first, come on up. Come here, come here, Jeremiah, come here. All right, you're going to help me out, right? Okay. You didn't even get a clap walking up here. Now go back. Let's try that again. Now everybody, oh, thank you for volunteering. All right, yeah, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, see. You got, look at this young man. He is ready and eager. Now, before I tell you what's going on, you've got to answer a question for me, okay? Here's the question. Can I trust you? Yes. 
Are you sure? Yes, you can trust I, I can trust you. I really can? Yes. Okay, all right, because here's why I'm asking. I've got something for you that I need you, I'm going to trust you with this morning. Now, I'm going to want this back, okay? Now, here's my $20. Ooh. For some people, it's a lot of money. You know, this is, this is all Penny has given me to live off for about six months right here. That's all I get. It's my allowance, right? So this is a very important $20 bill to me. It's all, it's all that was in my wallet this morning, $20. Now, like I said, I'm going to want it back. I'm going to want it back, okay? Okay. Now, you said I could trust you. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to you. And when I ask later, I don't want to find that Chris who's sitting next to you over there has stolen it out of your pocket. I mean, you've got to watch, right? Okay, so I'm trust. Should I do it? Should I, can I, is he trustworthy? I, I am the most trustworthy person. He is a trust. He says, okay, you put, hold on to that for me. I'm going to see if it's still there. I am trusting you, right? Yes, All right, take my $20. Go sit down. Thank you very much. Good job. Very good. All right. If you take that, I'm going to go hungry for the next week. I know I could probably, probably do me good, but I don't want, you know, so watch my money there. Now, why am I giving that to him? Can we go back and put up some of the uh, uh, verse 2 for us, please? Thank you. Now, I want you to know, Paul was saying here, he remember, if you remember from last week, Paul was talking to this church that was dealing with so many problems, and he was reminding them, that they had made one of their mistakes was that they had overemphasized the role of leaders. They had kind of elevated Paul and some of the other leaders of that church to a higher position they needed to be. They were having pride over the work those people were doing. And Paul was saying, don't do that. Don't treat me like that. Because the problem was when they were elevating, overemphasizing their leaders, what happened? They had stopped doing the work of the Lord. I thought, oh, we just got a pastor to do it. Oh, we just have this leader to do it. We have this great apostle come in and do it. They had stopped striving themselves to work in the church to grow in the Lord. So when we kind of turn the corner in the chapter we're looking at this morning, Paul says, don't think of me like that. Stop it. I am just, I'm a co-laborer with you. I'm just working alongside of you. However, that's why it says, look in verse 2, it says, but it has been, now it has, it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. And he said, uh, just in verse 4, he goes, And God has given to me some of the mysteries of his will, some of the mysteries of his plan. Also, he's been talking about what God has given to him. God has trusted him with an awesome thing, with the message of Jesus Christ. He's been given something to steward, to manage to take care of. And he's realizing, he's stopping and he's thinking about what God has done for me, what God has given me, the gift God has let me hold on to, something very precious to God, something much more precious than a, than a $20 bill. He's given him the reconciliation of his sins and given him new life in Christ and given him the message to take to other people. Now, why this is so important is because he's got to realize how well he's, he's got to think about what's he going to do with what God has trusted him with. God is saying, can I trust you with this? Now, what Paul's going to emphasize for is there's a lot of influences that's going to be put upon him 
that's going to try to change how he handles this trust, this thing that God has given him. In fact, we're going to realize that he's going to have over his life three different judges, people who are making judgments over the things he does, how he is living, and the decisions he is making, and they're all going to influence him one way or the other, so he better know what is going to happen to him, what he should pay attention to. Now, this is not just about Paul. Friends, because if you're here this morning and you know that you've had a time in your life that you've confessed Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If he dealt with your sins, knowing that you were lost in the ugliness of your sins and failures, and you came to God and said, thank you for Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. I receive him. I turn from those ways, and I turn to you. If you have new life in Christ, God has trusted you with something awesome. Because not only has he given you salvation, the Bible tells us that when we are saved, he gives us spiritual gifts. He puts things on us. He gives us our own talents and abilities to go serve Him. I want you to notice this. God never gives us a spiritual gift. God never gives us a blessing that's only for our own edification, only for our own enjoyment. God gives a gift so it can be used for the building of His kingdom. Now, I know I learned early on in my life that God... And this is truly from God, because I would have never guessed it for myself. God put a thing in me to be able to proclaim His Word. That was not me growing up. I did not want to stand up in front of people. I did not. I mean, that just scared me to death. I was, I've never was fluent with the things I was saying. But when I was started to take on God's Word, it was confirmation. So I can look at my life. I'm just looking at my life and say, God called me to something like He called every one of you to something. Now, what if I decided I'm going to use my gift in my room with the door shut, with nobody listening? Well, God, I'm still preaching. Well, then that would be useless, wouldn't it? The gift was not for me just to use myself. I can just sit with myself and go, wow, good job, Greg. You just really gave a good sermon. Nobody heard it. Now, what good would that be? He wants us to use the gifts. He, we want to be good managers, good stewards of the things God has trusted us with and use them for His glory. Now, like I already said, along the way, we have these influences. We have these judgments on us from other sources that are going to affect. Now, here's what I think is cool in this passage. He lists these three judges. Now, we see them in the order of least important to most important. But as you're going to see this morning, that we treat them exactly the opposite. We treat the least important as the one of great, most great importance. And the most important with the least importance. I think there's no secret to what we're going to see this morning. But let's take a closer look at what Paul was saying. The judges that are placed, the judgments that are placed on him over how he's going to handle what God has trusted him with. First of all, he's going to face the judge of other people, the judgment from others, the outside influences, right? Think for a moment about Paul. Now, you may not, you may be here this morning, you not, may know much about Paul. Paul radically changed his life when he came to Christ. Before Jesus, before he ever had that experience with receiving Jesus, encounter with him, Paul had it going on from a worldly point of view. Paul had a couple awesome things in his life 
that a lot of people would have wanted. First of all, he was a Roman citizen. And back in that day, to be a Roman citizen was a big deal. It means you could really go from one end of the earth to the other and without really a fear of anything happening to you because they understood what Rome would do if you hurt one of its citizens. And it was an awesome thing to be a Roman citizen that day. A lot of people didn't have it. He had that citizenship that gave him protection and gave him power. Secondly, I mean, he was a high-ranking Jew among the people there in Israel. You know, Pharisee, he was, he was respected. There's enough evidence to say that he had some power. He probably had some money. He had some influence. I mean, Paul had a, we, we can make it, there's enough of force to say Paul probably had a very comfortable life. Nobody really messed with Paul. And then one day he encounters Jesus, and Jesus just turned him around. I mean, remember, Paul was on his way to go persecute Christians, go arrest them, go throw them into jail, probably watch them die, and then Christ got a hold of his life. And now he became a preacher. Now, just imagine for a second, I don't know Paul's family or his friends. I mean, I don't, it's not mentioned in the Bible. I don't know who Paul's mama was, but can you imagine Paul's mama seeing the change in his life. What are you doing, Paul? From their perspective, it seems like he's throwing his life away, going from, in a worldly view, everything going to nothing. Because, again, we live in a society and world where you come to Christ, people are going to clap and rejoice with you. Nobody's going to give you a hard time. But Paul lived in a day, in a part of a world that still exists today, of that when he came to Christ, it was going to cost him everything. You realize all the disciples, all those early disciples, many of the early Christian followers lost their life and not in gentle ways because they were following and teaching the message of Jesus Christ. They endured some of the worst hardships and just ugly things in their life because they claimed the name of Jesus. Now, what do you think Paul's family, Paul's mama, Paul's friends said to him, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. You're being foolish. Life would be easier if you stopped this Jesus stuff. Oh, it's okay. maybe you can believe it, but don't talk about it so much. Be easier about it. Don't see all the, all the influence, all the outside people making a judgment on how he should live his life. Now, what if Paul had said, you know what? I should listen to Mama. I should listen to my friends. I should listen to these people who, di- who aren't in with what's, what's going on in my but, but all that pressure, I should do what they say. Now, does that seem like a smart move? Of course it doesn't seem like a smart move. But how many of us decide the, the actions of our day, of our lives, based on what other people think we should do? How often do the opinions of those around us family, friends, co-workers who may not know what's really going on here, what God has said to us, but they're giving that influence. They're, giving, they're making a judgment over what is right and what is wrong for our lives. And we're saying, I'll follow your opinion. How many times have you been, know, know that God has called you to even just speak to a friend, a neighbor, a family member about Jesus Christ. Maybe to go pray with them. To invite him to church. And you know God wants you to do that. You know God is calling you out on that. But you're looking around and going, but what are people going to say if I do? 
What if I get rejected? What if I get made fun of? What if I lose a friend? So we take the least important source of judgment over us and we make it the biggest. Now, does that make any sense? Remember, when I was in, when I was in college, uh, some of you know this, but I mean, I, my actual bachelor's degree in college, my undergrad degree was in music. I, I have a heart for music, and I've been a music, involved in music since I was a small kid. And I focused on vocal performance. I was a singer. In fact, believe it or not, I used to sing opera all the time. In fact, I, I, yes, I know it's kind of weird to think. I used to, I was in operas. I had several of them and, and musicals. And I loved that because that was the focus of, of the degree and the training. And I loved doing that. Every year, the students of our, our program there at our university uh, try to go to a competition, a statewide competition of collegiate vocalists. And it was a tough competition. Now, even of our university, of all the people in that program, you had to try out to make it just for our university. And about the top, about eight or ten were able to go to the competition. But then you went there and you met with every other university in the state of Texas and their top eight or ten, you know, that they brought with them. So a lot of students, and all of them are trying to get the best of their university to come because it's a competition. Now, thankfully, a couple, of two or three years, I was able to be, represent my university of that small group that went. Now, when we went down to that competition, everybody got to go and you sang before a judge, a, a panel of judges, two or three songs. And then from that, it may be the top 5% of all the students there went on to the second round, and then three people went on to the final round, and then somebody won it, obviously. I mean, it was tough competition. It really was. It was enjoyable. It was fun. I never made it past the first round. It was so tough to do. I got close, but never did. But I always remember, there's this something that has stuck with me. I remember going in at this competition. I want to do my best, right? I've worked hard. This is something I'm passionate about. I memorized my music. I've worked on it. I've practiced just endless hours. I go in there, and I go before these three judges who I've never, ever met before in my life, I'll probably never, ever see them again. And I sing for them, and then I leave, and an hour later I get their reviews, their notes. Let me tell you again, this, is a, this was kind of the top collegiate competition in Texas, so they're tough. I mean, they're not there to say, good job. Oh, you know, here's your participation ribbon. No, I'm serious. I mean, they, they're taking it very hard. And here's these three people I've never met before, and they critique every little thing. And trust me, they love to be more critical than positive, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. But I'm reading these things, and it's just eating me alive. These judgments made by these other people. The little comments and negative things that oh, I didn't like this, or you could have tried it like this. I'm going, oh, I mean, it's just hitting right here. You ever felt like that? Somebody criticized something you were worked hard on? Then I had to stop and I go, you know, those people don't know me. They don't know if that's my best effort or my worst effort. They don't know how I felt about it. They didn't know if I was pleased with what, if how I was trying to sing in the way God gave me, gave me ability to do, or I was, wasn't pleased. They, they don't know. And even though I was getting torn up by these comments of other people, I had to stop and go, what does it matter? Whether they liked it 
or didn't. I need to stop and say, God, you called me to do these things. You gave me the ability and put me in the place to do it. Are you pleased with the effort I put in? But so many of us get stuck on what other people think of us, what we should do and how we should live. And Paul's a great example. He's saying, I don't care who is judging me. I don't care what court I would stand in today. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to let the human outside influence judgment affect how I use this thing God has trusted me with. Because if Paul was going to operate like that, our New Testament would be a whole lot smaller. All right? God did awesome things through Paul's life because he refused to allow the outside judgment of others decide how he was going to live his life. So that's the first judge, right? The judge we face from others, the other people that judge us. What's the second one? Ourselves. We judge ourselves whether we sometimes realize it or not paul here said i don't even judge myself i'll tell you why he said that in just a moment but just think for a second that we do place judgments on ourselves but let me ask you a quick question is it easier to judge someone else or judge yourself which one they're like tommy's at least the honest one this morning he says someone else you're right brother everybody's thinking it's okay you're good good answer it is it's so much easier to judge someone else than it is to judge ourselves. Jay, I found this out. You know, I, I've told people before, I'm, I'm a night owl. Like, I, I, I kind of wish I was a morning person. All you people who get up at 4.30 in the morning and just like bright smiles on your faces, I really don't like you. I'm a little jealous of you to tell you the truth, but I don't like you. You know, I kind of wish that was me, but it's not. I don't know if it would ever be. But I'm like 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'm getting my energy. And it's hard for me to go to sleep before midnight. I don't like that about myself. I just, I mean, what it is. I just, that's when I have, I get work done, actually. And I have, you know, I'm really going about that time of night. You know, and so I end up staying up. I stay, I'm mean, I stay up late most every night. In fact, anybody, y'all can call me or text me 11, 11, 30, 12. I'll probably be awake, most likely, most nights. But usually after I get a few things done, I turn on the TV. I really should just go into bed, try to get that sleep, but I don't. Turn on the TV and I start channel surfing. What crazy thing on, is on at 12.30 in the morning, you know, just trying to find stuff. I, a month or two ago, I came across a show. I, I like just kind of random things just to see what it is. And I saw the show. Maybe some of you have heard of it. You've seen it. I've only, I think I saw now one or two episodes of this. It's called, it's a reality show called My 600-Pound Life. You ever heard of that show? Seen it in like on the TV, on, the, on your guide, Okay. It just The name captured me. I was like, okay, what is this? And again, it's a reality show about people who are dealing with extreme morbid obesity. I mean, people who have usually, they got to be at least 600 pounds or above and dealing with major health consequences because of this, and they're going to face surgery and weight loss and all these things. Now, I came to realize a couple of things. First of all, all these reality shows that are kind of that nature are like, hey, we want to show these awesome uh, progressions people go through in their life to get healthier. Also, that's not, not really what those shows are there for. Those shows are really there to shame 
you really stop and think about it. Because they might show the positive thing, if there is a positive thing in the last 10 minutes, but the rest of it is dedicated to all the things that people are doing wrong. And I was sitting there watching this show, and I forget who, who was in it, I, but it obviously just this main person was dealing with a major medical issue, right? I mean, just extreme weight and struggling and all stuff. And the camera, again, spends most of the time, most of the program is showing all the bad things they're doing. I think it was a guy, and this guy you showed him going to a restaurant, right? And it just piling on the food. Going to a buffet, just like going back and back and back. And I'm sitting there watching this thing. I'm going, man, doesn't he know that eating like this is just gonna is gonna make it worse? And doesn't he realize that what he's doing? And doesn't he? Why doesn't he change it? And I look down, I got my tub of ice cream right there going, <laughs> oh, wait a second. I didn't realize that show was making me real hungry. I wanted to eat too, going, there's a whole lot. And then I go, oh, wait a second. Okay, all right. Maybe I should stop for a second and go, you know, God, let's pray for you, brother. Let's, let's encourage you in what you're doing. But let me stop thinking about, you know, why didn't you change what you're doing? And I won't even look at myself. Right? It's tough. It's a whole lot easier to judge other people. Now, Paul here says, I won't even judge myself. Why would he say that? Now, Paul's not saying he never looks at himself. And Paul is also the one who tells us to examine ourselves. And I mean, he trains his body and all. I mean, he, it's not that he never looks at what he's doing right and doing wrong. He's saying, I don't judge myself because, in truth, our judgments over ourselves can be, can be wrong, can be false can be improper a lot of times i've seen it a lot of ways i see some people way too hard on themselves i see people who refuse to forgive themselves i mean you'll see people just constantly lost and call themselves stupid no good ugly just that judging themselves that's not healthy people who call into mind all the past failures and the things or how about this? I see a lot of people using their own judgments to justify the stupid things they're doing. Our, our young friend out there has got, my, you, got, you still got my 20 bucks? Is it, okay, all right, just thought I'd check. We're halfway through here going, uh, making sure you got it. Now, if he really wanted to, he could have, you know, put that back in his wallet and probably in this time that I've been talking, justified somehow that it was all right. He's not going to get away with it because we're all watching him. But if it was a different circumstance, see, we can justify by judging our own selves a little too lightly sometimes the things we can get away with. It doesn't do us any good. We, are, we can judge ourselves, and what's going to do, it's going to affect this thing God has trusted with us. Okay, so we know the first couple judges, right? We know we face the judgment of others. We know we face the judgment of ourselves. And come on, it's not going to be that hard. Who is the third judge we face? It is God. Right? Paul is telling us the only judge that has any worth, value, the only one i got to listen to is God. He is the one that will judge me. He is the one that knows what's going on in my heart. He's always there. He's always watching. I need to be thinking about his judgment. He, he's talking to me about what is right or wrong. His opinion, 
His word, his voice over my life should just echo so much louder than every other voice. Because it's the one that matters. Because God really knows what's going on in your heart. That friend, that family member who might judge you, they don't understand necessarily what's going on. You can trick yourself to not really understand what's going on, but God really knows what's at the core of you. And He's always watching. That's the thing we can't get away from. That our judge, the right, true, only perfect judge, sees what we're doing every time. Back in uh, college, right after Penny and I got married, I was working multiple odd jobs. Both of us were. We were, you know, still in school, kind of did a new life started. And one of the odd jobs I worked, I think for a couple of months, I threw a, uh, threw a paper route. Now, Rick Hopkemeyer, I have great respect for you. One of the many things Rick does is throw papers. At, and I, and I did it for a couple of months. It was the longest year of my life. That's what it felt like, right? I mean, it just dragged. Now, I, I, I enjoyed it for some degrees, but I, I just couldn't deal with the hours. I mean, I was getting up about two and go rolling papers, throwing papers, getting back at five, getting an hour of sleep, going to class, working another job in the afternoon. I mean, I just, it wore me out. But there's something interesting that happened. Those couple months I was throwing these newspapers. I was, this was, I was living up in Wichita Falls. And, and once I kind of got the sleepiness out of me and kind of got going, it really was okay. I kind of liked having the quiet of the night and nobody else around. And I, I delivered to some pretty bad neighborhoods. And I delivered some pretty nice ones, too. And it never really bothered me. Penny was always worried that I wasn't safe or whatever. And I, it, never, it doesn't bother me to kind of be out by myself, and even in the middle of the night. I really enjoyed it. But there was one house. And here's the crazy thing. It was one of the nicest houses in town. That it, was, it was a country club house. It was right off the golf course. And every sing, I, single night, I just remember this so vividly. I would be on this row of houses, all these really, ni- really, really nice houses, one of these driveways that are 100 yards long. You know, you've got to really drive back up to the house. All these, I went to the, all these houses, and they're fine, no problem whatsoever. But as soon as I hit the driveway of this one house, I, it may, I could swear someone was watching me. Ugh, you know, give me the heebity-jeebities. I mean, it was like, I'm not joking. It was just, I, I, I never saw anything. There were just, I'm just saying, it felt like, Somebody was just peering out their window, watching me, whatever. Maybe somebody was, I don't know. But I did not like it. I mean, I drove up that thing as fast as I could. I just chunked that newspaper and turned around and got out of there. I just did not like being there because it literally, I just had that sense of just being watched. I mean, somebody, the, the rest of the evening was real nice because I didn't have that. It was like I'm just by myself and kind of just me and the Lord talking and just having a good evening. But just for those moments, I had just somebody right over me watching. Oh, and just, it bother me. I don't know all what that was about, but it's kind of a good reminder sometimes that God, thankfully, and not in a creepy sense at all, not in not to make us feel bad or weird or anything like that, but God is always there. You know, we try to live sometimes like He's not watching. Sometimes we think we can get away with it. Sometimes we're proud when we got away with something nobody found out. Some of us are dealing with some stuff in our hearts, some attitudes, some thoughts, some issues, and nobody would ever guess that we think these things and feel these things. God does. You don't get away with anything in this life. 
Because the one who gets to judge, the one who rewards the things we do, the one who gives us the direction for our life, he always sees it, every single bit of it. Now the good thing is, when we mess up, which we inevitably do, which I've done countless times, we don't have this judge who's going to, you know, hit the gavel and say, all right, you messed up again, you're done, you're out of here. No, he's a gentle loving, merciful judge who says, all right, child, all right. You try to live like I wasn't there. But you know I was. Let's get back on track. I'll forgive that. I'm going to forgive that. We're going to get past that. Let's go again. You know, the one judge who, be, who has every single right just to knock us down for the stupid things we do is the one who forgives us time and time again. Now think about this. If you are in Christ, and only you and God know for sure if you are in Christ, you know you've made the decision to trust Him as your Savior, you've committed to follow Him with your life. I didn't say you've been perfect, I didn't say you haven't messed anything up, but you've made the commitment to follow Jesus. And if so, God has put upon you a calling. He's called you to do little things, big things. He has called you to what is right and what is wrong. He's telling you how to live daily life. Now, if you know those things are over you, what are the outside things you're letting influence you? Are you letting the friends, the people around you, the judgments they put on you, the thoughts they have about you influence whether you're going to do God's will or not? Are you trying to look at your own self and you're trying to justify the things you do wrong? You're putting the wrong judgments on you. Or are you stopping and going, all right, God, you are the one who gave it to me. You're the one who called me to it. You're the only judge that matters, so I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to live like you're always watching because you are. You know, Paul, who wrote this, God directed right, I mean, he endured some stuff. Because we're going to see it even two weeks from now, and as we go, he really endured some stuff. Right? I mean, he went through some really hard things, and some things that none of us want to have to go through. But because he was willing to say, I will do what God wants me to do, not what man says I should do, not even what my false judgment or myself says I should do. I'm going to do what God says is right, what God is wrong, even though he messed up from time to time. But I'm going to do what God is right, says is right. His name, not, not Paul himself, but his name has been lifted up. We're talking about him 2,000 years later. We're talking about it as a great example of what it is to follow Christ. You know, we get so wrapped up with getting accolades and getting praise and getting re- being remembered past the day we get put in the ground. Maybe. What if we tried it like Paul says? Living every day with the knowledge that, of what God would call us to do. The praise, the accolades will take care of itself because God said there'll be a day. There'll be a day when all the motives of the heart are laid bare. It'll be made plain. It'll be obvious. And I'm going to reward each to what he's done. All right. Time to get out of here. Time to go in the real world. Time to go out amongst the daily struggles of our lives. 
and to realize that God has trusted us with something. Whose opinion really matters? It's your choice. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to be in your house, this opportunity to hear from you. We thank you for your lovingness over us. We thank you how you forgive us, how, God, you just have mercy upon mercy for us and grace upon grace for all of our mistakes. God, forgive us when we live in such a way that we're letting the outside influences, the influence of other people, those things, their opinions of us matter more to us than you. Sorry for that, God. Help us see where we're doing that in our lives. God, help us not to be judging over ourselves, to examine ourselves, yes, to look at what's right through your eyes, but not to be in because we can deceive our own selves, God. God, let us realize we have one judge. It's you. You'll show us what's right, what's wrong. God, you'll give forgiveness and give us another chance when we mess it up. But God, that we should look to your voice above all else, even in the secret and in the hidden moments, the times when we think nobody's watching. God, let us just know that your presence is right there, right there in that room, right there in that moment, right there. It should be your voice that matters above all else. God, I pray that you help us today as your people, your church, respond unto you in the ways that you would call us to do. God, there may be some days, uh, some moments today of just brokenness, people needing to come and just say, forgive me. There may be some people here today who just realize that they have been living a life based on what other people think they should or should not do. God, let that brokenness just come, let it sweep over them, and just so they can understand how wrong that is, and let them come and just, just confess it to you. God, we know you'll be the one that heals that brokenness and get them back up and going. God, there may be somebody today who needs to know the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, who needs to stop running and start receiving. There's only one way, only by one name, which we can be saved, that of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you, we worship you, praise you in this awesome moment and this day. By Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come here. Give it. There we go. Look at this guy. Took care of me this morning. Very.